0: All right. All right. So, looks like we're working here. This is what we're looking at today. We continue on uh, these very few verses, which I'm creating a four week series out of because I just think there's so much here. So, let me read it for you today. The, The text is on the front of your bulletin. And I'll stop a couple times just to point some nerdy things out. So they came to Jericho. They're coming to Jericho from northern, uh, what we call northern Israel, the Galilee region around Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent his life and did the bulk of his ministry uh, all up there and he's heading to Jerusalem, and and Jericho is sort of on the way. It is on the way. We don't know how long he stayed in Jericho. It could have been days. could have been longer. We're not sure. So, they came to Jericho, and as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, so now they're on their way out of town, and they're headed toward Jerusalem, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Now, nerd note here, Bartimaeus in Hebrew means son of Timaeus. So, Technically, this is a redundant uh, statement. It, was, it would be like it would read, son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus, in case you missed it. <laughs> but we just call him uh, Bartimaeus. I'm calling him Bart uh, for this series. A blind beggar uh, was sitting by the roadside. And he was sitting by the roadside because that's the only hope he had of calling out the people who were coming into the city or leaving the city. He was entirely dependent on others' generosity to live. When he heard uh, that it was Jesus of Nazareth that was passing by, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. However, the English language also doesn't give us the full feel of this. You get the exclamation point there, and that's pretty good. But in the Greek, uh, the Greek uses the aorist tense, which means it was a, a passion filled now kind of a thing. So in some, uh, like an amplified version of scripture, you might even see it say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me now, because that's the kind of passion that he's speaking with. I don't want to, I can't handle it anymore. I need it now, which is kind of a shocking thing that somebody like Bart, who knows his place, and the community certainly lets him know what his place is, that he would have the audacity and the courage to you know, be so filled with passion to say this kind of thing to a person like Jesus, a celebrity, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing if we think about what he's doing. So, he shouts, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me now. And many sternly ordered him to be quiet. Many sternly ordered him To be quiet. Can you see the look on their faces? Can you feel the tone coming out of their pores? Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me now. And Jesus stood and said, stood still and said, Love that. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. What what a change in tone, (laughs) right? What has already happened to this group? (laughs) They're calling this guy out, telling him to shut up. And now Jesus has changed the tone. He's made this guy the object of his attention. And immediately, the group's like, oh, oh, Bart, uh, take heart. <laughs> He's calling you to him now. You know, sorry about the, you know, the stern shut up, man, uh, stuff we just said. Now, now, now you're really important. So let's go together and see what Jesus wants. You know what I mean? It's just a whole change uh, that's happened. Just because Jesus stood still and just simply changed the, the game, call him here. So throwing off his cloak he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And I know I talked about this in previous weeks, but I just, I don't want you to miss how powerful this question is. This is not minor. It's not incidental. It's not just what you do. This communicates volumes about Jesus, about how he saw Bart. Because this is a question of empowerment, and it's a question that implies respect and honor, and also gives uh, agency to Bart, who felt like he had none. And I was thinking about this in the early service today, that in the early days of our food pantry, just doing the best that we knew to do, uh, the idea was, is that we would put together bags of food uh, for the folks that we were serving, and it would be, you know, a mix match of all kinds of stuff that we were pretty sure people would want, and it was an efficient way to do it, and it was, it was just the way that people did it, and so we did it, and it was very effective for a long time, but then after a number of years, uh, new ideas were out there in the food pantry world, and and some feedback was coming to us, which sort of made us listen to these new ways. And some of the things that we were hearing was that some of the families that we were serving, they would love like maybe 60% of what was in the bag, but they hated pasta, or they hated rice, or they couldn't stand green beans, or what have you. And there's a part of human nature uh, on the group side of things, like we get harumphy, you know what I mean? Harumph. Well, Beggars can't be choosers, harumph. <laughs> they're going to eat those green beans and they're going to like them, dang it, You know, or whatever. That's, that's what human nature does. But then we softened on it and we radically changed how we approached it because that's what human beings do. We learn and we figure it out and we start doing things in different ways. And so because we evolved according to the feedback and what others were doing in creative ways, uh, pre-COVID, our gym would become a grocery store. And instead of us telling people what they should put in the bags, we would accompany them and serve them along the way. And they could pick, you know, out of all the stuff, what do you like and what do you need? Because at the end of the day, that's the point, (laughs) right? It's a very different way of thinking about it. And I kind of see that happening with Jesus here. He doesn't assume what Bart wants. The obvious thing that we would assume is he wants to see again, but he doesn't just assume that even if that ends up being what he asks, he gives Bart the honor and the power to say, well, this is what I want. Meaning Bart, you're a real human being and I'm not going to step all over you like this whole crowd just did. What do you want, Bart? because I value you and I see you differently than the rest of this crowd sees you. What do you want me to do for you? Equal in my eyes, equal in God's eyes. What would you like me to do for you? We just can't imagine how mind blowing this was for everybody listening who never thought to ask such a question of Bart, because we remember uh, how blind people globally to this day are treated by the mass population. Uh, They're looked upon as dumb. This is research. I'm not just spitballing here. They're looked upon as dumb. It's communicated to them that they are a burden on society. And third, um, globally, it is communicated to them that somehow they are cursed by God. That's what the group is saying to the blind globally, even in our country to this very day. So imagine how startling it was for people to hear Jesus treat this guy as somebody with intelligence, as somebody who mattered, and somebody who God cared about. So the blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. And I give you the italicized word again, uh, because this version and one other, the New American Standard Version, include that word again, but the others do not. So it's just a little reminder that the Greek language does not translate into English well at times. And uh, this is an indication of that. I like, I like how the rest of this works, but we don't really know if Bart was born blind or if he got a disease or an accident or whatever, and it's sort of irrelevant uh, because blind is problematic for the blind because of the community around them. They make it worse. So let me see. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight And follow them on the way. So I want to talk about groupthink today, and these are some of the questions we're going to touch on. Uh, What is groupthink? Did groupthink occur in the Bible? Yes, groupthink occurred in the Bible a lot. We're going to. This is an example of groupthink. I think. Uh, How are we affected by groupthink? We'll talk about that. How do we live with groupthink? And is there an upside of groupthink? Because I actually think there is. So groupthink is happening here. I, I think there probably are, probably were some people in Jericho that saw uh, Bartimaeus as somebody other than a blind guy got to know him on some level. And on any day, if that person were alone and walking by Bart, would have a conversation like he was a real human being. But things are different when we're in a group with each other. It's, uh, it's group psychology. This is what happens uh, when we're in large groups of people. We do things in a group uh, that we wouldn't necessarily do if we were all on our own. I'm generally a fairly reserved person. I grew up uh, that way. Um, w- my family, you know, we did joy and happiness. We never did sorrow or anger <laughs> in our family. So I didn't know how to do that for a long time. Um, and But even in our rejoicing, um, you know, we, we knew our place, you know, and knew it could only go so far. And so uh, when my wife and I uh, scored tickets to a playoff game uh, with the Giants, the first playoff game uh, against the Dodgers, so a double whammy, uh, you're playing the Dodgers, which we can never afford those tickets. And we just kind of fell into these affordable playoff tickets. It's like playoff against the Dodgers that we all hate, of course. And there we are. (laughs) And when you're in a crowd of 45,000 people and it's so charged and electric and so amped up, anytime a giant does anything notable, the crowd just goes nuts. And it was a fantastic game and it was one that we won and it was a dramatic game and, and all this. And even reserved me, who was told never to get too excited, you can't help yourself. You could be comatose and find yourself on your feet with your hands in the air yelling at the top of your lungs. Why? Why is that? It's because you're surrounded by 45,000 other people who are screaming at the top of their lungs because they're so excited. It's infectious. It makes you do things that you might not otherwise do. I've seen people who should not ever be dancing on the dance floor (laughs) (laughs) and they validate my concerns, uh, but they're on the dance floor because everybody around them is like, oh, we're dancing now. And they're out there dancing terribly, but they're dancing. It's like people who never dance are dancing Dancing. That would be me too. And so, uh, and I never should be on the dance floor. My wife will attest to that. So, anyway, we do things in this group kind of setting uh, that are very surprising. And it's really shocking uh, how some of this plays. So, uh, I have a brief video coming up, and uh, it does two things. It's kind of in two parts. One is, just this crazy, crazy experiment that was done where you're looking at it, you're just like, I cannot believe what I am seeing unfold here, and that's going to tell us something about ourselves, and then go a little deeper into how group psychology works, and we'll be back uh, to talk about this. By the way, uh, a group think thing uh, in the Bible, just to give you one great example, is Jesus who you know spoke truth to power, but he was basically known as being a healer and a lover of people and a peacemaker, all this. All of a sudden, he's on trial, and this entire group of people is yelling, crucify him, about Jesus, and a guy who's convicted— of uh insurrection and could easily get a lot of people killed by rome because of his acts toward the government they want him off the hook they want the peacemaker to die and they want the other guy to to be free that's groupthink in action all right so let's check out the video and i'll be back with you after that so we know uh they talked about german uh history there with hitler and what led to uh world war ii uh, but we know in our own history, uh, this groupthink has allowed many atrocities to happen uh, on our soil, coming from very strange places. So you had very Christian-informed people who f- founded you know, this country. Uh, hundreds of years ago. Some of them were coming from the crown uh, just to figure out how to find more gold or what have you, Uh, but then there were others that were fleeing religious persecution and wanted to have the freedom to do their worship as they please, etc. But in both camps, uh, because well, because of the way they thought and because they uh, kind of affirmed each other in their own echo chamber, they felt it was okay for them uh, to push out the people who were already here the indigenous people, and keep pushing them out. And we are guilty of our own genocide in our country's history because of that. That's horrific. And we're not alone in that. Canada was doing the same kind of thing. Uh, So this was just the ideology of the day. Uh, Of course, American slavery uh, was also another thing where we took that to a new level. And the reason we were able to is because, again, we had groups of people who were recognizing the benefits of this all saying the same thing. Must be okay, must be okay, must be okay. Interestingly, if you look back at the research, when some of the people of faith particularly started to bring up uh, to other people of faith uh, in their local congregations that the the slavery that we're seeing here does not seem consistent (laughs) with the teaching of Jesus and how God looks upon humanity, that it, it is not appropriate for one human being to own another human being, Uh, When that was stated out loud, they were chastised and, in some cases, kicked out as heretics, apostates. And the logic of the group, again, fed by other motivations as well, largely economic, uh, the the mindset of the group uh, was, well, the Bible doesn't explicitly condemn slavery, so it must be okay. And they rode that as long as they could telling themselves that it must be okay, even if there were other motivations, again, dollars that were allowing that to to be perpetuated. So much so did they believe in this, so powerful was groupthink, that it led to a civil war uh, in America. And so powerful was that groupthink, even after the Civil War was done and emancipation happened, that things were put into place long before any of us took our first breath. Policies, decisions that were made about how our country was going to work and how we were going to build going forward. Decisions that you and I don't even know are there, perhaps, but were deeply influenced by that division and viewing other people as less than some other people. And those things are still with us. They're still there. And until we actually look at them and see them, we really aren't going to do anything about them, and the problem isn't going to be solved. So these things have been been there for a long time. They've caused us problems, and they're rooted in a very old thing that was motivated by this very groupthink reality. You have enough people saying this is the way it is. It must be this way. We're right because so many people are saying it's right we get into a lot of trouble. Now here at Crosswalk, we've gotten into a lot of trouble uh, because we have recognized some things in biblical interpretation, and thought some different ways about things. And as the the big mouth here, (laughs) I at least have, have experienced what that's like and what has happened with me. The things I've gone through are just part and parcel with things that anybody else who does any other kind of thing, which pushes the group and challenges the group, happens to them too. The outlier speaks. The outlier says, this is a problem. We're seeing this differently. And the group uh, reactively, as, a, as, a, as a, almost a knee-jerk reaction, don't even know they're doing it, immediately come to the, to the position of protecting the group. Um, and will generally, uh, after a while, if, if the point isn't strong enough and they have no reason to really believe differently, what always happens is uh, the outlier, the one who's causing the problem, is just kicked out, uh, and they're dismissed, so the group can continue. We know this happens in large scale, but it also happens in family systems. Family systems theory is, has been a part of uh, counseling sessions for decades and decades. And you often see uh, destructive family systems uh, where there's uh, addiction involved. If one of the parents in particular is addicted uh, to a substance, or if there are unchecked um, mental health issues happening uh, in the parent, uh, what that will do is create a system with everybody else in the family. Everybody's just trying to survive. And so they create this system that works kind of, because you're able to get through a series of days, and it seems like everything is sort of going okay, but everybody in the family system knows what to do, and they know that if you cross this line or that line or say this thing or point this out, there's going to be hell to pay, and it's going to be awful for everyone, and so everybody just kind of tries to keep the peace. Don't mess with the system. What often happens in family systems theory is somebody eventually can't take it anymore. And so they start acting out and they become what's called the identified patient. They're not really the problem, uh, but they're sort of like the pressure release valve of the system that's about to explode. Oftentimes it's a kid. In a family system that doesn't know what's happening to them, Uh, and maybe it's a teenager, maybe it's younger than a teenager, and all of a sudden they're acting with behavior that's destructive or maybe they're withdrawn or whatever, but different than they were, and it's their way of handling and surviving living in this really sick family system that is sort of working, but really not working. And the counselor worth their salt will understand, yep, there are some issues here, but really it points back to what's happening here. It's very, very difficult, painful, and courageous work to look at and deal with family systems. And if they don't get dealt with, they often are generational. I was talking to a crosswalker right after the first service, and we were talking about, you know, he'd seen some of this and people that he knew and families that he knew. And, you know, in the Old Testament, um, talking about the law and God's through Moses saying, okay, you know, if you adopt adopt this, it's going to bless generations upon generation for 10,000 generations. But then there's also this line that says, but if you neglect this and you don't do this, It's going to be a curse for generation upon generation. And I think this is kind of what we're talking about. Until we deal with the system that is problematic, until we recognize that a group think thing phenomenon has happened there and we address it, until we do that, it's going to just keep getting worse. And unfortunately, it's going to perpetuate generationally. So we know this happens on that scale. We know this happens on a large institutional scale. And the reason I asked the question or had you converse about the question, which maybe you all blew off and started talking about your favorite Halloween candy again, uh, but was the question was, is who are you affiliated with? It's also why I put this chart uh, in your bulletin. And so I'd like you to just look at it. And I'm guessing that I missed a few. This was just sort of off the top of my head about ways we identify ourselves, groups that we affiliate with. These are are factors in our lives, forces in our lives that help us know who we are, help us get through the day, help our identity. And because they are... Uh, shaping forces—they actually have power over us to some degree, because we want to be a part of the groups that these represent. Do you understand? And if if we have these groups in our in our spheres that are speaking into us, and we want to conform, because that's just what humans do. We're going we're gonna to be robots, <laughs> in large part, until we recognize what these are. So I came up with education, and that could be, you know, how many letters after your name or even the school that you went to. Um, that's part of your, your makeup, and it informs you. Your date of birth. So how old are you? What generation are you in? That informs you. Uh, your religion, and specifically, you know, narrowing that down, it informs you. Your political party, good grief, do we know that's true. Uh, the zip code uh, that you live in, uh, your gender ID, um, you know, how do you how do you understand yourself? Male, female, or somewhere in between, or both? Uh, how much money you have? Uh, that is a that's a big identifier on both ends of the spectrum. Doesn't matter where you are. If you hardly have any money, uh, that informs how you think about things and how you see your world. If you have a ton of money. That informs you and shapes you and forces you. And if you're just like anybody in between, that also has its effect. Obviously, parents, major shaping uh, force and are part of your uh, larger group of groups. Uh, Your race and ethnicity certainly matter. Uh, Your ACEs number, ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences Score. And these are a range of things that a lot of research has been done on what happens to you as a child, Uh, deeply impacts your emotional and physical health. Kaiser did a massive amount of work on this and found out that, you know, when you get to sort of a tipping point of ACEs, at least in large scale, um, people with like four or more ACEs uh, seem to have a lot worse health conditions. Uh, cardiovascular uh, issues, obesity issues, which causes all kinds of other things, uh, all kinds of stuff. And what are ACEs? They're things like, uh, were you in a divorced home? Was there any abuse in your home? Was there any uh, addiction in your home? Did anybody in your household, were they incarcerated? Uh, that, That kind of a thing. And there's a list of them, Google it and you'll, you'll see and you can take your own tests and uh, see how that's impacted your life. But these things really, really matter. Uh, the stuff we go through, it's not benign. And then of course, uh, how you identify straight or LGBTQ, those things are there. And I know I'm missing some, so I left a few blanks. So what am I missing here? Sports team, Sports team right. Giants fans are right, everybody else, who cares, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that, that's actually quite significant. It informs us quite a bit. Yeah. Career. Oh, yes. Right. Um, whoever said that, I can't see with the mask on, but yeah, your career. And you said that. Okay. You threw your voice way over here. Uh, yeah, your career as a workaholic, I should know that. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else? Yeah, okay, what kind of volunteer stuff you're into? Uh, certainly, uh, that is, you're affiliated uh, with these things. You wanna be associated with those things, yeah. What else? Hobbies. Your hobbies, yeah, if you're into sports, your music, art, whatever, uh, you're a part of a community then uh, that that does have a shaping force on you. Anything else? Whether or not you're an animal person. Okay, yeah, whether or not you're an animal person. Yeah, right, uh, yeah, dog lovers, cat lovers, horse people, whatever. Uh, that makes, that's its own thing, right? What's that? Okay, yeah. It, okay, yeah, right, Ellie. Anything else? Yeah, Ron in the back. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Right, yeah. Yeah, with Veterans Day right before us, that certainly impacts things. Anything else? Yes. And where you were raised, if that's different, uh, makes a big difference. I know that I have a Midwestern sensibilities because that's where I grew up and it's different than the deep South, different than the East coast, different than the West coast for sure. Yep. Yeah. John, what is it? Oh, travel. Like how much travel do you have under your belt? How much of the world have you seen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all these, yeah. One more. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's actually going to come from different sources or even the study of ethics uh, could give you that as well. Very good. All these things make up who we are. And my hope is, is that you'll, you'll think about a couple things things. First is to realize the power of, you know, group psychology and our desire for conformity. It's like, The guy said it's not all bad. I mean, it helps us survive, and we make it together better than we do alone. So it's not this bad thing, but it is a very powerful thing that can certainly lead to some very bad things. And my hunch is, there's no way we can see it now because we're too close to it, but my hunch is that we probably are, in fact, I know we are, uh, we are a party to some horrors and atrocities right now, and we don't even know it because we just don't even know it yet. Uh, The history books will remember us (laughs) for what we did and what we didn't do in the face of great horror, and we don't even know. Uh, So it's one of these things like, well, are we even mindful enough to say that we're mindful enough to say (laughs) that we are a part of other influences, and do we take pause like Jesus did to just stand still? Because that's what Jesus did. He was in the crowd. He was with the many. The many were all around him. And if you think about what that is, so these were his fans, right? And some of these fans were going to go all the way to Jerusalem with him. And the easy thing for the leader to do at that point would just to be go along with the flow. Just go with the flow. But Jesus operated to the beat of a different drummer. And he could not go with this flow where the many were sternly admonishing poor Bartimaeus. And so he just stood still while everybody else was moving in a direction. He stood still. And that gets me, uh, you can go to the next slide, Dar, um, or I can if it wants to work. There we go. This gets to other questions, like how might we learn to be open to the still small voice of the spirit of love of God who will remind us and guide us towards shalom with shalom, And what might we get to contribute to the healing of the world because we choose as our greatest influence the spirit and we choose to surround ourselves with spirit pursuers. So for the first one, do we have awareness enough of what's going on and the fact that we are uh, always bent toward conformity with the people that we value around us. Do we have presence of mind enough and knowledge of Jesus and the way of Jesus enough to say this is incongruent with who, who we understand uh, people to be. This is incongruent with who God is and what God is trying to do in the world. I can't be a party to this anymore, whatever this might be for you or collectively uh, for us. Uh, I made no, um, I, I was not in any way uh Uh, you know, I'm not looking for the word, I was, whatever the opposite of transparency is, (laughs) I was trying to be very clear with my disdain and political rhetoric in our country uh, because it makes me sick, uh, because I think it is so divorced uh, from Shalom. It is all about creating different groups of people that then uh, impact people to move them in great ways. On both sides, whatever the political persuasion is, the language and the way we work is awful. Uh, If you want to freak out a little bit, watch the Netflix um, documentary, The Social Dilemma, and you'll find out that information uh, and marketing and business has weaponized (laughs) uh, this stuff to channel us further into the echo chamber so that the group experience continues to shape us in ways that we don't even know are happening? Will we, as people who claim to follow Jesus, have presence of mind enough and be quiet enough to be still and say, I know what the group is doing. I know what they're saying, and I I like this group. I affiliate with so much of this group. I really resonate with so many of the good things of this group, but this thing, this is in contrast to the Spirit of God, and I have to stand still. It takes great courage to do that, and great power, because when you do, there will be pushback. Now, Jesus, being the big deal that he was, he wielded quite a bit of power in this situation. So he could get away with what he did and he changed the tune and the tone of the crowd almost immediately. How long it lasted? Probably five minutes. But for those five minutes, a beautiful thing happened, which raises the other question. You know, if we understand that community and groupthink uh, has great power and great power for also very good things, what do we need to learn from that? And this is where... um, I thank you uh, for showing up. You know, for years, long before COVID, uh, we were putting out uh, the week's teaching uh, from Sunday morning online. uh, So people could watch it again or catch up on it and all that. And, and, you know, so the pandemic, we were many steps ahead, uh, being ready to handle that because we're already doing uh, so much of the stuff. But one funny thing has happened uh, with the pandemic. um, And, our viewership right now. I know we have a number on Zoom and I know we have another on uh, another group of folk that are watching us on live YouTube right now. But a funny thing happened with COVID. And I've I've heard this from church pastors all over, heard it from my own parents that there was a really cool factor of COVID in that you could go to church in your pajamas. <laughs> or less. We would never know, (laughs) right? And uh, people really enjoyed that freedom and the flexibility. It's so easy and all that. And I know that. And I know for uh, particular groups of folks, I know that it is a wonderful gift uh, that we want to continue doing forevermore, uh, because it, it can be so helpful. I know we have some folks uh, that literally cannot get the church because they're not physically able to. I know other people, they're out of town, but they want to be connected, and so they're listening on the road and checking it out. I think that's all awesome, but I think we got to be aware of the fact that the gospel, what Jesus came to teach was never God and me. It was always God and we. It was always community And especially as we think about the power of community, how important is it then that if we are going to be people of God who are trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, how important is it that we are in relationship together, supporting each other, listening together, saying, well, this is the way of Jesus, which is still counterintuitive and still countercultural, which means it's hard to do but if we have a community around us, how much more able are we to do that? In Hebrews 11, there's sort of a hall of fame of uh, faith greats that the Hebrew writer, uh, writer of Hebrews uh, gives us. And Chronicles, a bunch of people who were kind of these outliers, who were the lone ones who took a stand for what God was trying to do. And and, and they were blessed for it, and it was a good move and that kind of thing. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, the very uh, first few verses talk about, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast off everything that holds us and let us steadfastly follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the, uh, 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 for the joy before him uh, endured the cross, despising its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's this beautiful verse, but it talks about the cloud of witnesses and how we need the cloud of witnesses to encourage us. So my encouragement to you is not only do we need to look at this uh, on our own and figure that out, but we also really, really need each other because we can do so much more Uh, When we have the strength of each other to support us in the way to, to understand it better with your perspectives all coming in around the table, thinking it through better, processing how this might look like in the real world, we need each other. It can't happen from your lazy boy. It just can't. There's a power in the room when we're together, and we need it. You know, we might not change the world, you know, entirely. Um, that's, that's a little lofty for a little crosswalk community church. Uh, but you know what? Even if we just change it a little bit of a degree, because we've chosen to follow in the way of Jesus, even though it was hard, and we're going to look at that next week, you know, over time, this little variance of barely a measurable amount of change, over time, it shifts from this to this, and significant change can happen. So significant of ending something as horrific as American slavery. It can happen. It is not easy. It takes time. It takes us being quiet enough to be aware of what's happening, quiet enough to listen to the voice of the Spirit whispering into our ear, saying, this is my way. Toward shalom, with shalom, whatever doesn't fit that, question it challenge it because it's not in line with following Jesus. So, I want to end our time today with a little bit more meditation. Not long, so you're still going to get to in and out before the line is too huge. Uh, But I want to have just a moment just to let this simmer a bit. So, if you would, just close your eyes, uh, sit in a comfortable way that you can breathe deeply. And this is a prayerful guided meditation. We're going to end with the Lord's prayer. So that's where we're headed. But right now, I just first want you to recognize, um, you know, what have been some of the most influential groups uh, right now in your life? What are, the, what are those groups, those voices that you really like and you find meaning in and you listen to them and they influence you? What, what are they? Just think of one or two. Spirit of God, I ask that you help us as we think about um, this group that we very naturally and very human ways, no, no shame in it really, we conform to the beliefs of these one or two groups that we enjoy and resonate with. But Spirit of God, can you, can you help us right now to recognize what things about this group, can we pretty confidently say, yep, this, this is in line uh, with, with the Spirit of God. These evidence, shalom, the wholeness, this love, you know, that permeates thing, this toward life better for all kind of a thing. Can you help us identify those very good things for a moment, God? Got It's these good things that keeps us in the group. It's it's why we're there. It's why we keep listening. It's why we keep conforming, because it works for us, and may be really good. But God, we human beings have a way of allowing other things in. And so, could you help us, God, be honest and take off our blinders? And could your spirit nudge us a bit about what parts of even those precious groups that we love may not uh, be congruent with shalom, with love? Can you just help us identify one or two things? God, could you nudge us just a little bit about what what standing still might look like for us as a as a way of saying, you know i'm I'm listening to a higher order here that matters more than whatever this group is. Spirit of God, can you give us an imagination about what it might look like for us to not not engage in what we know is not healthy. God, I know that if we imagine actually doing this standstill move, whatever that might be, Ah, my hunch is, is that we sigh when we think of it because we know it's going to be very uncomfortable for us, and it might make others uncomfortable. It might challenge a part of our foundation of who we are, and yet it's so important. So, God, I I pray... <laughs> Pray a prayer that I know is already answered, and I pray that your spirit give us courage that we don't have. Give us conviction that we don't have to help us be the people you call us to be. Um, That we would recognize the counterintuitive, the countercultural ideas of Jesus and choose them anyway. And know, God, that we have you with us blowing wind in our sails, sustaining us, even suffering with us, but that we also have each other, and we love each other, and we care about each other, and we love you and care about you. And so we are in this together. And with all that, we're better together, and we have a greater chance of uh, changing the needle a little bit. So God help us. God, help us individually. God, help us in our families. God, help us in this culture. That the things that are iterated in the Lord's prayer uh, would really be our heart cry. To that end, we pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.